Well, there are some very big companies in our world. So, you know, you've got Apple, Samsung, Google, Facebook, and each in their own way are changing the way that we live our daily lives. But not just companies do that. Uh, some countries have such power and influence that their decisions change our world. So China and the USA seem to be involved in a lengthy arm wrestle to work out who is the world's superpower. Uh, when their leaders tweet, entire financial markets can shift. Uh, there is no doubting that we've got movers and shakers in our world. But for all the change that these companies and countries bring, in the end, they'll come and they'll go. So before the USA, it was the UK. And what about Rome, Greece and Persia? Now we've got Apple, but, you know, back in the day we had the Ford Motor Company and the railroad tycoons. World changes are impressive, but they come and they go. This morning we come to the climactic end of Matthew's Gospel. The last three chapters record the extraordinary death and resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew wants us to know that this event has changed the world. It is still changing the world. It'll never stop changing the world. It's as if with the death and resurrection of Christ, God set off a bomb under our planet. God's plans for the world exploded into action with the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the shockwaves have been reverberating around our planet ever since. Right now, we are in the time of God's plans for the world being worked out in front of our very eyes. And as Matthew makes clear to us, God's plans couldn't be bigger. They couldn't be more urgent and right here, right now, we are caught up in it. So let's have a look. We're covering chapters 26 to 28. As I'm sure you're well aware, Matthew records the various scenes of what happened around Christ's death and resurrection. And as he does, Matthew helps us to see the significance of what's happening. Each scene helps us to appreciate something more of why Christ died and rose again. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to walk our way through the scenes and as we do, we'll note the different things that Matthew wants us to understand and we'll think about what difference they each make to us. So we're going to start with Jesus' last meal. Uh, he was having dinner with his disciples and here we're told that his death will be a death for forgiveness. So come back to chapter 26... And verse 26, chapter 26, and verse 26, and Jesus is having dinner with his disciples. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood will be poured out. At the next day, his limbs would be stretched out and literally nailed to pieces of wood. And he would do this, he says, for the forgiveness of sins. 
Because God is very clear right throughout the scriptures, the punishment for sin is death. And so Jesus would die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. Each and every one of us, me, you, the person sitting next to you, every one of us, we have all sinned. And by that, all the Bible means is that we have lived without giving God the due he deserves. So, you know, when you walk into a teacher's classroom, you're meant to show them respect. Children, remember that one? Uh, You walk into a judge's courtroom, you're meant to give them honour, aren't you? When you're in their presence and on their turf, you're meant to give them the due they deserve, yeah? Well, where's God's turf? You know, when and where are we meant to give him his due? Well, he owns everything. He's the maker and the ruler of the universe, and so as soon as you were born, you found yourself on his turf, which means for your entire life, it has been expected of you that you would honour God in everything. Who's done that? (laughs) Not me, not you. And it won't just mean a detention or a fine or a jail term. It's far more serious than that, and we'll see exactly what the consequences are in the next scene. But for now, what Matthew wants us to know is that we can be forgiven. For every careless word, for every defiant deed, for every malicious thought, we can be forgiven of all our sin because Christ's blood was poured out for many. And so what should we do with this? You know, how should this truth shape us? Well, we should ask for forgiveness. It's not rocket science. Christ died so that you could be forgiven, and so you should ask. And please don't sit there wondering if the person two rows ahead of you has asked God for his forgiveness. This is God's word to you. Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you haven't already, all you need to do is ask. Ask. As Jesus and the disciples finish their dinner, uh, Jesus then takes them outside. They walk out to uh, the Mount of Olives. They come to a place called Gethsemane. Uh, Here in this garden, Jesus spends some time praying. And in his prayer, we're told something more of why he has to die. And here we learn that his death is going, he is going to die under God's wrath. As Jesus prays, he asks the Father to take the cup away from him. It's a little weird, but the cup is just an Old Testament symbol of God's wrath. And if you drink the cup of God's wrath, it means you'll be facing the full fury of his judgment and anger. That's what Jesus is going to have to face when he dies. And so he asks, he pleads that the cup be taken away from him. Come down to verse 38. Verse 38. Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here 
and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. The wrath of God is real. Jesus knew that in his death he would have to face the full fury of God at our sin and the prospect of God's wrath is so awful and terrifying that it even reduced the Lord Jesus to a quivering mess. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. If you have ever heard the line that hell will be okay because, you know, it'll be me and my mates hanging out. If you think hell isn't real, or even if it is, it'll be okay, then look here into the face of Christ and see the tears stream down his face. Hear his desperate cries. See the sorrow and the terror etched into every line of his face. You look into his eyes and tell him the wrath of God will be okay. It will not be okay. And yet he prays, not as I will, but as you will. It's our sins. We deserve the wrath of God, but Christ willingly died under God's wrath so that we don't have to. And so what should we do with that? How should this shape us? For those who follow Christ, this should fill us with thankfulness. We should be overflowing with thankfulness. If someone pulled you out of the way of an oncoming bus... And saved your life. You'd be gushing, wouldn't you? In thankfulness. The Lord Jesus Christ has rescued you from the oncoming wrath of God Almighty. We should be abounding in thankfulness. After praying his agonizing prayers, Jesus is interrupted by an oncoming crowd. It's the middle of the night, but under the cloak of darkness, evil... Plans have been hatched, a group of soldiers has been dispatched, they've come to arrest Jesus, but what we learn here is that Jesus' death, it's all according to plan, God's plan. We'll pick it up now in verse 52. The crowds have come, uh, they've grabbed Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples has lashed out and cut off someone's ear with a sword, Jesus tells him to put it away, no one is to fight this, he must go and die because that's God's plan. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to catch me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Matthew wants us to be under no mistake. The execution of the Son of Man was no accident. 
It was the fulfilment of God's promises, the outworking of God's plans. Nothing was out of control. Even when things look their bleakest, when things seem to be going completely pear-shaped, the Son of God is being arrested and about to be executed, and yet even then God is in control. His plans, his word being fulfilled. So what should we do with this? How should this shape us? Well, for those of us who follow Christ, we should trust our God. He keeps his word. His plans always come good. He's not out of control. He's not madly scrambling to come up with some plan B that might sort things out. Even the death of Christ was all according to God's plan. Everything's being worked out according to God's plan. And so we can trust him no matter what's going down, just like Jesus trusted his father when it was all going down for him. After Jesus is arrested, he's then tried by the Jewish rulers. They hate him, and in an ex- with extreme prejudice, they quickly find him guilty. They want him executed, but to do that, they've got to hand Jesus over to the Roman governor of the time, Pilate. And from there, it's a drawn-out process of Jesus' execution. But as Matthew records Christ's execution, he wants us to know that Jesus is dying as the king. All the way through the grisly process, we keep hearing Jesus referred to as God's king or the Christ, which means God's king. Whether it's from Pilate or it's the soldiers or it's the Jewish leaders, everyone is calling Jesus the king, the Christ. So look at it with me there from chapter 27, chapter 27 and verse 11. Chapter 27, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood there before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Come down now to verse 17. Verse 17. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Verse 22. Verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked. Down to verse 29, halfway through, verse 29. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. Now down to verse 37, verse 37. Above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And now down to verse 42. Verse 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. There's more references, but you get the idea, don't you? Over and over again, Matthew just keeps recording people calling Jesus the king, the Christ. Some do it in mockery, some in unbelief. The people that day didn't get it, but Matthew doesn't want us to miss it. Jesus died as the Christ, God's king there's his throne a wooden cross there's his crown of thorns here is the king god's christ and what should we do with this how should this truth shape us well for those who trust in christ this it should take our breath away 
if the queen, not Sarah, but if the, if the real queen came to your place for dinner and after the meal she offered to do the washing up, it'd be funny, wouldn't it? A little bit awkward. No, 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 seriously, it's okay, ma'am, isn't it? Ma'am is in ham, is that how you do it? It's okay, ma'am, I'll do it, you know. It'd be awkward, wouldn't it? But what if she did? What if a lady of such standing and the queen rolled up her sleeves and washed up for you? Imagine that. It'd take your breath away, wouldn't it? Jesus, the Christ, God's king, he didn't just roll up his sleeves, he stretched out his arms, he willingly let the hordes slaughter him so that we could join him in his kingdom. It should take your breath away. And after all the humiliations and the torture of being nailed to a cross, after hours of agony, Jesus eventually dies. But at the moment of his death, Matthew wants us to see something else about the significance of Christ's death, and that is that Christ's death was the death of death. We're going to pick it up now in verse 52. Jesus has just breathed his last, and at that moment, the temple curtain was torn in two, but that wasn't the only weird thing to happen at the moment of Jesus dying. Verse 52, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, I assume they appeared to the many people after the resurrection because they probably smelt and they needed to have a shower and so they could clean up and then they could go and appear to people. But look, somehow Jesus' death brings people to life. Death is being overcome in the death of Jesus. Now, we have to keep reading the New Testament to have the flesh put on this for us in more detail. But at the very least, what are we seeing? That somehow, by the death of Christ, death itself is overcome. And so what should we do with this? How should this shape us? Well, when you trust in Christ, it means we can be the people of hope. Because the grave isn't the end. Less than two weeks ago, we had the memorial service for Keith Holton. Yesterday, David Bennett died. In my time here at DPC, together, we have buried a number of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And for all those who died as believers in the Lord Jesus, their death is not the end. Because Christ is the giver of eternal life. When we bury a brother or a sister in Christ, we grieve. It is sad. But there's also the certainty of life beyond the grave. Death has been dealt with. We should be the people of hope. And not just in our grieving for those who have died in Christ, but also as we face our own death. We can look our coming death in the eye and not flinch. Not worry. In these last few months, when I went to visit David Bennett and I'd ask him how he was, 
And he would say to me, well, I didn't die in the night. More's the pity. He knew that death gives no cause for alarm. For those who trust in Christ, we have the sure and certain promise of eternal life. The death of death has come in the death of Christ Jesus. We should be the people of hope. Now, after Jesus dies, his body is taken from the cross. Uh, It's placed in a tomb. It's late Friday evening. Uh, Saturday, the next day, is a Sabbath, so no one goes to the tomb that day. But then very early on the Sunday morning, some women go to the tomb. And when they get there, they're met by an angel uh, who tells them, of course, as we know, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And they are to go to Galilee because Jesus is going to meet them there. It's extraordinary gloriously true. And so off they go with the disciples, off to Galilee, and Matthew finishes his book with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, telling them what it means for him to have been raised from the dead. And this is what it means. His resurrection means he is the living Lord. We'll pick it up in chapter 28, verse 18, right towards the end of the chapter. Chapter 28, Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ marks him out as the all conquering, all powerful ruler over all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And of course it has. Of course it has. Because he's the one who died for the forgiveness of sins. He's the one who died as the king to save people from the wrath of God. And now he's risen from the dead. He's able to forgive sins. He's able to save people. He holds the keys to heaven and hell. Of course all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so what should we do with this? How should this shape us? Well, this time we don't have to think for ourselves about what difference this truth should make to us because Matthew records Jesus telling us what this means. And it's not hard to work out where Jesus is going to go. Just think with me. If he's been raised from the dead as the living Lord with heaven and hell in his hands then of course all people need to trust and serve him now before it's too late. What should we do? Jesus says we should make disciples of all nations. Verse 18 again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And in the name of Christ, this is exactly what's been happening for the last 2,000 years. 
more and more people all over the globe becoming disciples of this Lord Jesus in every single generation for 2,000 years without fail. This is the bomb that God has set off under our planet, the worldwide, never-ending, never-failing kingdom of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Christ, people are being forgiven of their sins. In the name of Christ, people are being saved from the terrifying wrath of God that will one day fall. Friends, you do know that the people that you see across the road from your home, the neighbours you don't talk to, your workmates, teammates, family members, school friends, hairdressers, you do know that without Christ, they will all go to hell. And so I'm asking you, not just in theory, but in reality, in the stark, naked truth of fact, do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one able to save them all? That should they turn to Christ as their Lord and Saviour, they will be forgiven. They will be saved from the wrath of God if they trust in Christ. Friends, do you believe it? Then go and make disciples of all the nations. Wayne, Dave and I have been at a conference uh, all last week and it made us think very hard about our own lives and the life of us as a church and how we can band together to do this better. But for now, here's two small steps that we can, we can take to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's the first one. Let's use the giant leg up that Israel Falau has given us all. I know that there's differences of opinion on whether Izzy should have said the things he said. And maybe he could have said things differently. Okay, But regardless of all of that, put that to the side for the moment. Israel Falau has done something in this country that has not been done for years. He has put hell as a topic of discussion. When was the last time that happened? So let's use it. Izzy, he has done all the hard work of making hell a talking topic. So the next time Israel Folau comes up in a discussion, someone asks you, do you believe in hell? Here's what you say. Yes, I do believe in hell. And if it wasn't for Jesus... I'd be going there. Can I tell you how Jesus has helped me? It's a golden opportunity. Don't waste it. Secondly, to make disciples of all nations, let's invite someone to church next Sunday. It's our guest Sunday. I think it's our fourth or fifth one for the year. The life-giving, hell-saving truth of Jesus Christ will be made as clear as possible. So why not invite someone to come and find out about Jesus? Pray for them and invite them to come along. There's more invites in the foyer. Let's make Church at Eleven's life hard and grab them all. And do it 
because you believe. Because you believe that without Christ, everyone will come under the wrath of God. But with him, with Christ, they will be saved. We pray. Heavenly Father, we have read these chapters so many times in our lives and we know that Jesus died and rose again. But Father, please, please use these words, these chapters by your spirit. Change our hearts. Give us that conviction and that clarity of belief that he really is the Lord and the Saviour. And so, Father, may we gladly, no matter what comes our way, that we would be making disciples of all nations. Father, this is your grand plans. And it's marvellous that you would catch us up in it, that you would use even people like us. And so, Father, we're asking, give us opportunities to speak to people. Give us the courage to make the most of them. Father, even for next Sunday, surprise us with dozens of people arriving in our church meeting, that they might hear of Jesus and, Father, that you would save them through the death and resurrection of your Son. Do these great things through us and for the sake of Christ Jesus, our glorious Lord, and we ask it in nothing less, Father, than the name of your Son. Amen.